it's time to go beyond the locker room talk and listen in with me, GB, producer Jay, former patients and current friends of our own Cornell-trained, world-renowned urologist and surgeon, Dr. Michael Hyman. Let's talk about the issues on men's minds where no topic's out of bounds on another sit-down with two men and a doc. Hey guys, welcome to the show. JT, how are you? I'm good, GB. I'm good. Thank you for inviting us over to your humble home. Nice here in the backyard, in the shade. Indeed. On a 96 degree Los Angeles yeah. summer day. At least. Yeah, but uh, thank you for doing that. I'm back uh, in, in, well, to say I'm out and about is certainly not true, but at least I can see you guys from a safe distance. So thanks for that. No doubt. How have you guys been? Very, very, very good. Still, uh, this home sequester sheltering in place is uh, driving everybody crazy. And, uh, it's good, it's your, good to be outside. Your family in particular? <laughs> well, I, I, I think that I really miss the social aspect of kibitzing with people at work. Um, you know, the brainstorming you know, that goes on in a conference room. It's not the same over a video conference call. So we, I mean, I'm obviously, I am the exception because I, I'm in my office. And um, it's, uh, with this recent spike in cases in Los Angeles and you know, everybody's getting really anxious. Um, it's very, I have all kinds of mixed feelings when I go into my office every day. I feel like, okay, I'm really, getting nervous now like you know it's it's the incidence is going back up my staff is very chill they just you know they 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 eat in the lunch room and i and i kind of look at them and i'm like i think you guys ought to space out in the office this is not such a such a safe thing to do yeah you said the lunch room was closed i thought it was but somehow it crept open <laughs> So, I mean, and we're, our office is one of the more, I mean, when pe people come in to see us, they're like, you guys are the most, um, you know, sort of intense about COVID that of most medical offices. Like, we have zero people in the waiting room. Did you put up plexiglass? Yeah, the plexiglass is all up around the counters. Um, but, you know, you can just keep going. And then, and, and so, like, actually, I was just talking to the my associate that we share the office with, and that I share the office with, and I told them I think we ought to. We, we do have some HEPA filters in the main space, in the main common spaces, including the lunchroom. But um, I'm thinking about buying these HEPA, HEPA filter machines for every exam room. Um, Just the stand up ones. Yeah. But they have like mini ones for like a 100 foot, 150 square foot room. Okay. Yeah. So it's like the size of a. I don't know. It's like a mini keg, like a little mini keg type yeah. size. Mm -hmm. And um, is it, does it have? Is it filled with anything? With beer. And um, and so it um, and it supposedly filters out down to two microns, which is smaller than the than the virus. So supposedly it, it keeps it in pretty viral free. Yeah, we have in our air condition system here. We have not only a HEPA filter, but we bought something called an air scrubber. Hmm. And Where, is, is, that, is that get attached outside the house or in the filter area? In the filter area. And I was a little bit, everybody was talking about it. And we went and did it. It was $1,000. Noticeable difference in the air quality in the house. It like zaps everything and kills viruses. It's uh, really interesting. It's called an air scrubber. Hmm. Do you hear it zapping? Don't hear it zapping. It's not like a bug zapper. <laughs> But um, oh, it just got a virus. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's cleaner air in the house. So, so the dinner party is, is here. Then is what you're telling us. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, uh, the dinner party will be over Zoom. Oh, that's not fun. Then I have to cook. So, Doc, I heard you had one more follow-up on our rubber bullet case. Yep. So, uh, so he came back into the office. Of, is it now a second? It's a final, final visit for him with the, the gentleman who got struck with the rubber bullet in the, in the right testicle that kind of exploded and managed to sew most of that back together again. And so he came back in and we did an ultrasound and it was really pretty amazing how, it's amazing how the body can just, you know, 
heal itself in those kinds of trauma situations if you just give it a little a little boost. Because your last um, your last assessment was you felt the. Um, I think I saw blood flow, but it was still like very, very. You weren't sure what was going to yeah, get was, get through. It was through. a positive prognosis, yeah. but time to tell. Yeah. Right, and and plus, like we, you know, you could still see on the ultrasound, like the left testicle and the right testicle were markedly different. <laughs> the body. Whereas does. this time, like the right testicle and the left testicle looked very similar. I mean, you could see some slight irregularities in the contour of the right, but very slight, and the size was slightly less. It was like. 9.5 cubic centimeters on the right and like 12 cubic centimeters on the left and everybody has a little bit of a difference in size of their testicles so it was like i don't know if that's what it was before um or this was and then he asked you know well should we get a semen analysis and i said you know honestly it's you're not going to really do anything with that information i mean if you got a semen analysis and you had a low sperm count we're not going to go back and operate we don't know if that was really what your baseline right. was anyway. Right, you wouldn't even know. You wouldn't even know. So I said, my advice to you is just have a nice life. You know, chances are you're not going to have a problem with fertility. And if you do, you'll have to cross the bridge when you get to it. Deal with it then. Well, I do want to make this point. You indicated that, that it's amazing how the body heals itself. It's important to have a good doctor because the same issue was in the paper up north that somebody got shot in the crotch. A man got shot in the crotch with a rubber bullet and he lost his ball. So the doctor wasn't able to reconstruct it or didn't try to reconstruct Maybe it. Whereas you did that and you brought the ball back to life. The ball I'm, back I'm, to I'm life. Pat myself on the back, pat myself on the back. <laughs> yeah, that's great. You, you brought back his bounce. <laughs> um, I was very lucky to have uh, stumbled upon you. Yeah, it was good. It worked out. So the other thing I was going to tell you guys about that, you know, surgeons don't like to talk about this, but on the other hand, um, you know, when things don't go right, it's always good to talk about it because um, it adds to your experience, you know, and, and your, you know, the, the, the saying goes, if you've never had complications, then you haven't just, done enough. You haven't done enough. Um, so I did a procedure, an operation really, um, about a month ago on a gentleman. We've talked about prostates. We've talked about when your prostate gets too large and restricts the flow of urine. And we've talked about different procedures, surgeries to open that up. But what happens if it's so big that all those minimally invasive surgeries, well, it's just too big for those. So then how do you treat them surgically? And the answer is you have to do a more um, aggressive operation. In this case, um, I removed all of the obstructing elements of his prostate. So you think about the prostate as like, a, as like a, the pulp of the orange, and then you got the orange peel. If you take out the entire orange, peel and all, that's a radical prostatectomy that we do for cancer. But if you can just remove the pulp, of that orange the inside and leave the peel behind, they'll be able to pee really well. It will not give them any cancer benefit, it won't, but it won't affect their um, continence, their control. It won't affect their uh, ability to have erections like the radical operation can. So we call that a simple prostatectomy, although it's not really simple. It's actually a pretty complicated operation. And the operation that I, the way I did it was, I, I did it robotically, and, the, and, and without getting into too much technical detail, the approach was to make an incision in the bladder. So you, you put the robotic ports in, which is like a laparoscopic, you know, it's like you've got a scope inside the abdomen and the abdominal cavity, and you've got a couple of instruments, and you're operating from a console, these robotic instruments. You make an incision in the bladder. You're inside the bladder now, and you're looking down at the neck of the bladder, sort of like being in a balloon and looking down at the neck of the balloon. And then you make a little circumferential incision at the at the neck of that balloon around the, you know. Because uh, that's the most direct route to what's behind direct, it, which is the prostate. Right. So you cut down along the open. Anyways, you cut down there at the base of the bladder over where the prostate's bulging up from. And then you, you essentially dissect out that pulp and you 
put it all back together. And when you're all done, you've got this big pulpy mass that you remove. And but when the operation's over, what do you have to do? You have to sew the bladder back up. You you just cut the whole. You've kind of clamshelled, as we call it, like a literally like a clam. Right. You clamshell the bladder, and when you're done, you have to sew up the bladder, which I did. This may be sorry. This may be a go for it. silly question, but while you're doing this, do you have to make sure the bladder is empty and stays empty the whole time? Because you've got an incision, I would think you don't want so actually, anything leaking. Actually, what you do is so urine is still coming into the bladder during the operation, and that's okay. And that's okay. It may even kind of yeah, it's going to spill into the abdominal cavity where your intestines are. And your peritoneum will just absorb that. Okay. It's, it's not a big deal. Okay, that's all right. What were you saying? It's sterile. It's sterile. Urine is sterile. GB is smiling. I can see behind the mask there. But I, I always <laughs> yeah, joke by, that. By the way, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I got to interrupt. Please. Doctors, I was making a comment about the beauty of the mask uh, when you're talking to people because then you can make faces and stuff <laughs> and they don't know what's going on. And, and I was talking to another doctor, and Michael just confirmed this. He goes, as doctors, you wear masks so frequently in the operating room, you know exactly the expressions right. by looking at the, eye, the eyes. eyes. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So you, you can't, get, you you can't get, get one by the doc. You no. can't get one by me. Yeah. <laughs> but um, GB is smiling because it is true that urine is sterile, and that is, frankly, one of the major reasons why I was attracted to urology in the first place because I did not want to deal with non-sterile poop. I wanted to deal with sterile urine. Wait, so, wait, wait a minute. So you had boiled down <laughs> your, the direction of Literally. your career to, uh, to gastroenterology plus versus I don't like your, the, Plus, I, I can tolerate the smell of urine, but I can't tolerate the smell of poop. Got it. So, so it was gas. Gastroenterology. When we, had, when we, had, when we had our babies, my wife had to do all the diaper changes. No, I don't. I did the pee pee diapers. She did the poopy diapers. <laughs> no, I did the poopy diapers too. Didn't <laughs> like it, but I did it. Anyway, right, so, so you had to um, sew them up. So you had to sew this up. Now, to answer your question, actually, before you make an incision in the bladder, it's not obvious where the bladder is. Actually, you're you're looking inside. You see the intestines. You move them to the side. You see this lining. That the, the uh, of the abdominal cavity of the peritoneal cavity, you see the lining at the base of the peritoneal cavity, overlying the bladder, but you're not really sure where the bladder is. So how do you really know where to cut so you enter the bladder? So you don't just poke it. If you poke it, you're poking. I mean, you could poke a kidney. What do you know? No, well, the kidney's behind you. You're, you're looking gonna, yeah, down at the. You're gonna recognize you're, that. You're looking down at the pelvis. The pelvis is like a bowl. And, you're, and the bowl is lying on its side, and your camera is looking down from the rim of the bowl, and at the base of the bowl somewhere is the bladder. And how do you know where the bladder is? And if, the, and if you have a catheter, we always put a catheter in at the beginning of the case. So the, cat, so the, cat, so the bladder is completely empty. It's decompressed. It's completely shriveled up and empty. So how do you find the bladder? Anybody want to take a guess? What would you do? You've got a catheter there. I would blow. I would blow into the catheter. Very good call. Very good call. Mm. So you can either inflate the catheter with air or just with saline. So do you use your mouth or, do, or don't use or, my mouth? Or is it the nurse? <laughs> don't use the nurse. Okay. So, um, so behind um, my mask, I'm frowning right now. But curious. <laughs> so um, actually, historically, we would fill up the catheter with saline or sterile water. And then you would see this big bulge coming up from the bottom of the pelvis, and you would just cut right over the bulge, and all, and you'd get a huge flood of saline or water, and you're in the bladder. And then we would just suction it all out. But nowadays, because we do these cases with, you know, we've insufflated the abdomen with air to see around with the robot camera. Insufflate. Insufflate with air. Why do you say insufflate? Why don't you just say inflate? Why That's a good question. It, that is so funny. I, 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 it is the terminology that some of this terminology. It's like I, I can't say I've ever reflected on why we use the terminology, but it's just it's like it's like legalese or something. You know, you read some of these legal papers and you're like, why don't they just say this instead? They say that. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Well, that's a lot. Some of it is, but some of it is just legalese. It's a Latin word. Insufflate. Insuff, because because at work we have something called insect quilt. 
It's a quilt? Yeah, which is basically material to soundproof walls. Hmm. And, and deadened. So, all right, insulate. So we, we insulate. Now there's air in there, and we actually have a system now. It used to be that... Um, it used to be that the air would go in there and it just stayed in there, which was a problem because if you cauterized, what would what would happen to the air inside? It would start to get smoky and you couldn't <laughs> see. So your assistant would have to, we call it trumpet one of the ports, which means they would open a valve on the port and let the smoky air escape and then new air would fill in. Um, now they have a new system that developed about four years ago um, that's constantly recirculating the air in the abdomen. So it's just going in and out, in and out, in and out, which is really nice, so that when you cauterize, you never see smoke. And when you suction, so there was the other problem is that when you would be operating, and let's say you had some bleeding, it was a real problem in these laparoscopic cases because you'd suction blood, but you'd also suction air. And as you suction the air, the the insufflation would go down and suddenly you can't see as well because things are all compressing around you mm. and it was a real problem. So when they developed this technology to have a, uh, uh, I forgot what it's called, like ProSeal or something, it continuously circulates um, the air in the abdomen. It, it really changed things for us. And that's good for COVID too. <laughs> there you go. So recirculate the air. That's right. <laughs> so anyway, um, now that we have this recirculation system, we just inflate the bladder with air. And then once we cut the bladder open, all that air just gets suctioned and recirculated. So it's great. Anyways, um, I'm dragging this out. The bottom line is you close the bladder at the end. You just stitch it closed. And how do you know it's air? It's watertight? How do you know it's not going to leak? Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Same thing. So, but, but, but we started before this. You were saying about how do you find the bladder. I told so you how to so, find it. So, so you insufflate it, so you right. see it. So now you found the bladder. And then I've opened, I made an incision. I opened the bladder. I got down to where the prostate did is the surgery. below the bladder. I did the operation. I took out that pulp of the prostate. Okay. So the operation's over. Now I gotta I gotta close up the bladder. Okay. I can't and, just and this is like the clamshell. I gotta close the clamshell. So otherwise it's gonna have to inject some liquid in there and see if anything comes out. Correct. And is it do you have to color it at just all? Saline, just okay, saline. Just saline. So you fill up the bladder with about 300 milliliters or 10 ounces of saline, maybe more. Mountain Dew, really, Dr. Pepper. Mountain Dew, <laughs> Dr. Pepper, whatever floats your boat. You fill it up and you see, you watch the suture line and see if anything is leaking through the suture line. And if it is, you throw in a few more stitches. So when I did it, there were no leaks. It looked great. Operation's over. When you do that, does somebody like, do you turn to the, to the OR nurse and say, do you concur? No, I turn to the OR nurse and I say, please put in 300 cc's into the bladder. No, no, no. But does somebody validate your observations that it's well, in urine this, proof? Sometimes. I mean, in this particular case, I had another surgeon operating with me who was assisting me at the operating. I was on the, on the robotic console, which right. is like 10 feet from the yeah. operating table, but on the operating, at the operating table holding the suction and right. some other mm -hmm. instruments was another surgeon who was assisting me. So he, he was, so I he said, concurred. yeah, I was like, dude, do you see any, uh, he's like, nope, looks watertight to me. You said dude, you I didn't said say dude. doctor. Nope, he <laughs> said dude. So. All right, so it's watertight. So it's watertight. I, we haven't gotten to the complication yet. The complication. I think, I think we're getting close. And um, the other thing is, uh, yeah, so the operation's over and you leave a catheter in because you still, you don't want the bladder to fill up with urine fresh out of this operation. You know, you want the bladder to heal. Oh. So you leave a catheter in, and in this case, I left it in for a week. Wow. And, um, wow. A week. It's a long time. I had to keep it in for a week. And, of course, he's like, when are we going to get this catheter out, Dr. <laughs> Ivan? I can't stand it. When are we going to get it out? He's about 60. Do you have to change it dur during the week or nope. same? Just same catheter. Would you have done that? You can leave a catheter in for, like, up to four weeks. Would you, you have, have to change it. Would you have done that with a younger Jeez. patient? What if you get an erection with a catheter? happens nothing it nothing. just you just have an erection so a week goes by i should mention that before this operation he was having a condition that i've mentioned on the show before i think called silent urinary retention where some people can develop like sort of a chronic gradual 
buildup or retention of urine, and they're not aware of it. Yet. They're peeing, but not all of it out, right? And and in his case, he was really not peeing all of it. And out. then He's you're getting peeing, and the residual was like two liters. Think of a two-liter Coke bottle. So his bladder oh, was geez. all stretched out. It's giant. And it doesn't. Didn't you say that can get kind of rancid? It doesn't. I don't know if that's well, the right word. Can, but it can get is infected. Is this patient a trim? Is this patient overweight? No, not at all. So this is a okay, normal guy, and. The bladder gets all stretched out. Yeah, GD always gets into the, <laughs> the obesity question. It, the bladder gets all stretched out, and you, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, of, it's like a muscle. Think of you're hanging on pull-up bars for 12 hours. Yeah. And then you have to try to use your arm after that. Your muscles are all right. stretched out. Right. Well, the bladder gets all stretched out, and you're hoping it's going to function normally again, but there's a little question in the back of your head, like, I hope this bladder's going to work when this is all over. Right? So I took out the catheter after a week. He calls me six hours later. He says, I'm, I'm feeling a lot of pain. I can't pee. I feel this fullness. I, I'm feeling really not good. I'm like, all right, you better go to the emergency room. Because this was after hours. It was now like 6 o'clock. And I said, let them, they'll put a catheter in you. They'll drain your bladder. This is where, what you're going to hear, this is, this is where reality happens as far as like as a doctor what you have to sometimes contend with so i sent him to the er i called the er and told them what the situation was but it turns out that they changed ships so the doctor i called wasn't the doctor who actually saw him and the doctor who saw him got the story oh yeah he's had surgery a week ago and he can't pee and his belly's distended we better get a cat scan just in case maybe there's something else wrong why wouldn't they have done the catheter first, drain it, and then do the CAT scan? Or call you. I'm not a doctor, but that seems more... This is where, this is where you could say, yeah, I mean, you know, I could give you all kinds of excuses, and the excuses would be reasonable. For example, maybe, um, first of all, maybe the ER was overrun at that moment, and, you know, the doctor was juggling six different things at one time, and some, one of the... One of the nurses or somebody came over and said, the guy in bed three is in horrific abdominal pain and um, his heart rate is a little wacky and his blood counts are a little wacky and um, we're worried about this or he's bleeding or something. And he might just say, like, okay, get a stat CAT scan. Is it right? No. Should it, something else have happened? Yes. It didn't happen. He went wait, to wait, hold on. Are we allowed to say this because if there's a lawsuit? It's not going to be a lawsuit. Okay. So, anyways, he ends up getting Sounds a scan. Sounds like it's going to be an edit. He ends up getting a scan, <laughs> and um, actually, to be honest with you, I'm not even sure the timing. If he got a scan, if he got his catheter right before he went to the scan, or after he got the scan, but the real issue was he didn't get the catheter right away. It was the delay. Yeah, it was a long right. delay. That's a long the... delay. So, by the time he got the scan. The scan showed um, a finding that's called ascites. What is ascites? It's when there's fluid in the intestinal cavity, which can have, and, and typically ascites is with a lot of other medical conditions, like liver, liver failure can lead to buildup of fluid in the abdomen. If you ever look at like, and in, in, in malnutrition and other things, but in this case, the ascites, even though the radiologist didn't know this, but I knew this, I knew what caused the ascites. What caused the ascites? What was the fluid in the intestinal cavity? It was urine. Yeah. His bladder Urch. ruptured. Yes, Urch. from from your sutures. Right. So his bladder ruptured a little bit, and urine leaked out into the abdominal cavity. They finally got the catheter in. Was this a double billing surgery opportunity? <laughs> no, because every minute I spend after the operation is non-billable for three months. It's called a global period. Mm. So I do not, all the time I spent on this and all the complication time, I don't get to bill anything. That's, that's because just like, they're, they're avoiding an instability. I don't know. It's, it's the, the rain check you get when you've uh, washed your car and then it rains the next day. You get to go back for free. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God this guy got a rain check. I got a rain check. So, um, so. Now wait, it burst though. I'm wondering, did it, is that because he had so much, you know, two liters of urine in him anyway, and. Then it was filling up with the catheter. Why wasn't the catheter draining it? He didn't have a catheter in at this point. He had, he had, he couldn't pee. Maybe because he hadn't healed enough. Maybe, arguably, 
I could have left the catheter in longer. Oh, okay. I don't know, but it happens when you do these operations. You know that statistically, like I don't know, there's like a twenty percent chance they won't pee the first time, right? And that you have to put the catheter back in. Um, but I didn't. Unfortunately, so, um, he should have had that catheter put in right when he got to the ER. And listen, arguably, I mean, I could blame myself a little bit and say I should have, like, you know, sort of. Um, as we, the expression we use is bird dog. I should have bird dogged this situation where, you know, I should have called the ER as soon as I assumed the guy was there and said, hey, is Mr. Such and Such there? Did you guys put the Foley in? But I, I assumed that they were going to do what I told them to do, but then they switched shifts and things got screwed up. But really, it had already happened, right? Because the cat, when they did the CAT scan, they saw the fluid. So, but he, if they, they could have made him more comfortable, as he walked in, it may have prevented, may have prevented it from, from. So, is yeah. there like an internal like review on cases like this? Do you do you go and hunt down that ER doctor it's, and say you a, numb? Sometimes, um, it it's a tough call because, um, yes, we do have a review program. It depends on how. Um, it depends on how serious the complication is and how serious the outcome is. Like if a guy ends up having to go back to surgery as a result of this, it could wind up. So this doing the that. guy's got to go back to surgery as a result of this, right? No, no. Okay. Sometimes, but uh, it's, this is the this is the judgment call as a surgeon. This is the kind of thing you have to decide what to do. So it's like, what do I do? I see that he's had a. I don't know, by the way, how much of a rupture it might right. have just been a little right, pinhole. Right, right. Or a little like dime-sized blowout. Question. Point of clarification. You know, think of a bicycle tire. Would would would, would that heal? Will uh, an organ is it, is it okay to call the bladder an organ? Is yeah. That yeah. Will the organ heal itself when there's a hole? That's a great question. So and so you put the catheter in again. And so you, there and are certain viscous structures. Viscous means structures like the bowel, things that are have a hollowness to it and are containing something in it, right? So the bowel is a viscous structure. The bladder is a viscous structure. The kidney is not. The kidney is not a viscous right. structure. So there are certain viscous structures um, that if they leak or blow out, it's an immediate surgical emergency, and you've got to rush them to the operating room and fix it. The bowel is one of those structures. Yeah. If the bowel starts leaking, you can't watch them. Right, because there's bacteria going everywhere right. all over your abdominal cavity. Mess. But urine, of course, is sterile, as we discussed. And when the bladder ruptures, depends, you can, bladder is forgiving. If you drain it, it can, it can heal. Doesn't mean it will, but it should, um, eventually. And it's interesting because the guy, the surgeon who assisted me in that operation was a young surgeon. He'd only been out of training for a few years. And I called them and I said, hey, guess what, dude? <laughs> this is what happened. And I got to figure out what I'm going to do with this guy. And he's like, we got to take him back to the OR. Do you ever say bro? Uh, I don't say bro. Broski? I don't say broski. And, and why isn't this guy on our show right now? My <laughs> we could bring him on. Let's he would probably him. be happy to be on. Let's call him on. Um, actually, he's a UCLA. Um, he, he actually works for UCLA, yeah. so he might say that's a problem. Yeah, I don't know. They won't do it. But in any event, um, he's like, oh, we got to take him back to surgery. And I go, you know, I can only tell you that in 20 years, in many different op types of operations I've done, I've had bladder leaks before for other types of surgeries, for other kinds of reconstruction operations. And in, I got to say, like, I've never reoperated on them. I've always found that they just heal up on their own. Um, so I said, I think I'm going to leave this catheter in and see what happens. So I leave the catheter in and a week goes by and this is where it gets to be a real, like, are you going to, are you going to double down or not? Cause a week goes by a week and, um, and I do a cystogram. What's a cystogram? You put dye up the catheter and take an x-ray and it was still leaking. So then I so then I was like, okay, do I have to take this guy back to the OR and repair this? It's a, it's it's not a minor thing. It's like it's first of all to reoperate on someone is a major thing. It's it, it's reportable. It has to be reported to the to this uh, committee and it, it gets reviewed and it's a big deal to reoperate. And it's unbillable. 
it's unknown. <laughs> it's not so much about what's billable, but no, there's 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 um, certainly uh, medical legal concerns, and um, and would you uh, validate the parking? And at the end of the, <laughs> and it's if not you a, had brought the patient back, would you validate his? Parking? Well, he's going to the hospital. I don't have any control over that. It's not my office. He slips five dollars into his jacket while he's under, <laughs> so when he gets home, he finds yeah. it. For your but, troubles, I'm gonna right. I'm gonna validate you. You shouldn't have had to come back. It's the least I can do. This guy, by the way, I will Love say, Gunter. without revealing anything about it, uh, as far as his personal information, he was there, uh, just to begin with was a very anxious guy. We've learned to like totally bond over this experience, but it required a lot of handling. Let me just tell you this: he was one of those people who he, you could tell he's. He, you know who he reminded me a little bit of? And is I say sitting, this. Is he sitting right here? <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. He could be like a GB. He could be like a GB. He's, he's smart and he asks like 8,000 questions. Okay. So he'll say like, so and? you think that the bladder Sounds was like full and you think it burst in the suture line? And I was like, yeah. He goes, how big? And I was like, well, I don't really know exactly. Well, how can we find out? Well, it's very difficult to find out. I mean, so what would you guess? I would say it's like a, a maybe a dime to a nickel-sized hole. And he's like, so you think it's a dime in a nickel-sized hole? <laughs> he's, he's just like asked 8,000 questions. He's got, he's got to run through things 30 times. He reminded me a little bit of the character in the movie. Um, um, is it not as good as it gets? It's one of those Jack Nicholson movies where it plays. Yeah, as good as it gets. As good as it gets. Yeah, right. I do have soft shell crap. You right. have soft shell crap. Right, right. Yeah. So it's like OCD about it. A little, bit, a little yeah. OCD, but in a very lovable way. Same yeah. with that character. I think it's kind of. But anyway, so we, we like I said, he's he's a great guy. Anyway, and 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 to, and to his credit, given the fact that he is such a very high anxiety, very perseverating personality, where he has to go over things over and over again. I actually told him. I said, considering you know the kind of person you are, I think. He handled this incredibly well, but in any event, um, it leaked on the cystogram, and that was a really tough decision because, um, of course, my co-surgeon who I told about, he was really emphatic about taking him back to the operating room, and I just felt like, you know what, I think you got to keep watching this. Give it another week. Give it another like seven to ten days. I gave it ten more days. Um, I said, you know, we can always take him back to the OR, but I'm telling you. Oh, and this is what I realized. What question? This is, you, okay, there's a whole other side is, story. Is it seven to ten days with a catheter in? Yes. Yeah. So oh. now you're talking, what, like three weeks total that he's had this catheter. So, because it's now two weeks out. One week, yeah. and then he had the catheter out for the trial, and now another week. But are you, you're putting the catheter. Now I'm going to put it in for another. I'm in your office, though. No, he had this catheter replaced in the ER when he first oh. had the rupture. Oh, okay. And it's still in there. So um, there were several other little caveats here. One was that after you do an operation, during surgery, you get a lot of fluid. You know how they like they hang the IV oh, yeah. you mean, and yeah. you get a lot of fluid. And some people really can accumulate that fluid in the interstitium, which is like the your tissue out right. Your ankles swell, sometimes your your scrotum swells. So like all these areas, your, your eyes can get puffy. In his case, his scrotum and his legs really swelled up. He couldn't even put his shoes on. And he really was upset about it. And I said, listen, this happens with surgery. His feet or his scrotum? His, his scrotum no, no, what and part his What was he upset about? Both. Oh, okay. And so... Um, he couldn't put his shoes on his Normally, scrotum. this is where like... This is where it's very interesting how relationships affect your outcome. Because normally somebody would say that to me and I go, don't worry, it's gonna go away. Just give it another few days. And, and usually people will say, okay, doc, thanks. But this wasn't one of those guys. He was like, what do you mean it's gonna go away a few days? How long is this gonna be? Why did this happen? He wanted to know everything. How, and, he goes, how and he goes, how are we gonna get rid of this? How big were his balls? It wasn't his balls, it was the scrotum. His balls oh. were the same size, but it was the scrotum yeah, that so swells up. How big was it? Like the size of a... Grapefruit. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't blame him. Okay, see, that's I what I'm saying. Like, GP's him. a lot like yeah. him. A GP's a lot like his him. His initials, so he's coincidentally, are GP. Wait, 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 hold on, JT. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you have an issue 
It would be alarming. It would be alarming, but what if the doctor said, listen, it's fine. I know fluid gets reabsorbed. It's going to reabsorb. Give it like... Give it like three or four days. Yeah, you're going to go away. You're going to pee a lot, right? And, and you're going to pee a lot. You're going to pee it all out. In this case, that was this not okay is, with him. He's he got a bad. Needed, he needed like aggressive. He said, "Well, isn't there something we can do to like make this go away faster? What can we do about this, doctor?" No, so no did you did food. you recommend boxers? So what I recommended was this is where this is really an interesting thing. I learned long time ago that when you have leg swelling and to some degree scrotal swelling. The best way to get rid of swelling below the waist is to sleep with a two by four or actually more to elevate the foot of your bed, not to put your legs on pillows because that does not work. You actually have to have your whole body tilted, not oh. just to let, if you put yeah, your legs I, up I like understand. this, it doesn't work. It's, it's like you're planking. It's, I right. So it's like you're planking. Right. So I said, can you get a couple of two by fours under the foot of your bed? And he said, yes. I said, do that. So we did. Oh, under the foot of your bed. Under so, the yeah, foot sure. of your bed. Not, so your head is down so and your the feet whole, are up. The whole mattress is at an angle. That's it. And it's not so profound that you're feeling like you're sleeping upside down. It's, but it's just enough that it makes a big difference. Mm. And sure enough, after like 36 hours, it was a lot better. It was a lot better. He said it got better. It got better. Great, great, great. Well, the day that I got that cystogram and I was leaking and it was leaking, I said, just out of curiosity, do you still have those two by fours under your bed? Oh yeah, and those things are working great. Those two by fours have really helped. Oh no. And I was like, okay. Because listen. it's gonna continue with the I leak. said the problem with the two by fours is that the the incision in your bladder is at the top. It won't and heal. Now it won't heal because all the urine that goes right. in your bladder just leaks right out the top. Right. So I had to tell him to take away the two by fours. I said, if anything, we got to elevate your head. Put right. the two by fours on the other side. <laughs> Put the two by fours under the head of the bed, well, so it all goes down. You know, I would have just pillow. had him twist around. Yeah, it would have been easier. Right. Exactly. Put the <laughs> pillow on the other good. side. <laughs> but he would say, no. But the headboard is on the other. I can't do that. So, anyways, I did. I literally told him to put the two by fours on the other side because I said I think that's propagating the leakage. Yeah. Anyway. Long story sh longer, because this is a long story. The final cystogram uh, this past week was on uh, Monday, and it was perfect. No leakage, mm. and we took out the catheter Wednesday, and he's peeing great. All right, so what did you do with the uh, junior doctor? I told him, I said, guess what? Great news. His cystogram was great, and he's peeing. And he's like, wow. He, did you he... send him like a mind-blow meme? No, no, no. He's, he's a great guy. I think actually it's a good, you know, the, when you're a younger surgeon, you haven't seen these complications, right, so right. you don't have the faith that these kinds of things will seal up, right? And you're like much more in a rush to fix it, right? You yeah. know. So anyway, that's a complication, and then the last thing I'm going to mention. Wait, hold on. Is the guy yeah. now? It so the hole healed. Is the guy peeing on his own? He's, he's peeing draining. on his own. He said it's a good stream, and yeah. he's happy. Oh, yeah, he's happy. He's a happy camper. And now what about the review board? Now all he cares about is, frankly, he, he was very concerned about his sexual function. He's got plans with a, you know, a, 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 a girlfriend or something. I don't know what she is. And so now all he wants to talk about is what we're going to do to make sure that's all working. And I said, okay, let's one thing at a time here. <laughs> so but, what about uh, the review board at the hospital? They probably won't get this case because it wasn't a quote unquote take back. It wasn't even a readmission. So in other words, the guy went and arguably you could say, well, they should, but they well, don't. Are you going to go in and personally chastise the OR doctor? You mean the ER doctor? The, yeah, the ER doctor. Um, I did mention it to them. I mean, I think when I spoke to them later that night and they said like, oh, we saw the CAT scan. He's got anxieties. And I said, why did he get a CAT scan without the Foley putting in beforehand? Like, yeah. They took him away before we could, you know, to, they took him to the scan scanner before we could get his catheter in. And I said, well, that was not good. That was a bad, bad in, ter thing. in terms of rank, are you ranked higher than the ER doctor? We're colleagues. So you're colleagues. Yeah, I would say I'm ranked higher. But you've been in practice for 20 years. But I, How long but, has the ER doctor been practicing? No, it's not that. I mean, I, I don't know, but that that's not it. It's, it is. Like it's you true. said, the it, ER could have been To some degree, I'm, I'm a higher rank from the standpoint of, it's my patient. It's my. I operated on him, but he's higher ranked because he's dealing with him at that moment, right? And so he's ultimately responsible at that moment. 
That's good. But but there's an issue with with what I'll call is procedures or operating controls during the changeover shift that I do believe needs to get investigated and remedied because I it would does, I does. would suggest that in this instance for this particular it's patient true. and case that you know what totally true you guys were lucky had it's it true. been something more serious it's it, true. the outcome could have been adverse it's true and it's true. something at that hospital needs right. to be reviewed so what happens is so you understand the process or the procedure or the protocol in general you're right that is how it how it goes and there's tons of these things by the way so it's like it could have easily just as been that the guy got readmitted or he got readmitted and then went to the operating room whenever you get a readmission um, or a take back to the operating room within like four weeks of the surgery, it sets up, it's, it sends out all these flags. And there is a whole committee that then gets the chart and then they do a whole review. You get, it's just a surgical review. And then if they're, if it, if during the review, they realize there was a communication error with like emergency room physicians, then they get called into the review committee to discuss this and to try to learn from the mistake. But is this, will this hit that review board? I don't know if this case will. But it should hit the review yeah, board. Yeah, yeah, no, you have a good point. You have a good point. I mean, you have to realize there there are literally like dozens of these every month, but you're right. I mean, it's it's a reasonable thing to, to bring it up to the review board. It's reasonable, I agree, I agree. Um, so the other thing that was interesting that is an ongoing thing that we will not, that, that just came in yesterday, that I'm going to sort of set up a little bit of a uh, cliffhanger here, was a 70-year-old woman who came in yesterday. They called Seven. me from the emergency room. They said this lady came in, and she's got a big bulge in the skin behind her, like in her right flank area. Like a kidney? Big bulge. Hmm. I said, I don't know. And they said, yeah, and a little bit of pus was coming out through a portion of it. And so... Um, did you say, they, why are you calling me? I did. Well, no, I said, so so have you Wrong called number. anybody? So they said, well, we <laughs> called the general surgeons to deal with this. And I said, okay. And the general surgeons took this patient to um, do an, what's called an incision and drainage. So they basically made it like a one-inch incision in the skin, drained out the pus. They got like a liter of pus out. Yeah, wow. pretty pretty oh, gnarly. It's nasty. Pretty nasty. And so, um, meanwhile, I said, "Is this lady? She's seventy. I mean, is she as sick as a dog? Is she just like going to the ICU? Nope, she's going to the regular floor." You're kidding. Yeah, no, she looks like like she didn't even know it was pus. She just looked fine. She doesn't have a fever. She's not in any pain. She was just complaining of the bulge. Hmm. And she's peeing all right. Oh, but by the way, she does have a little bit of a UTI, but she's not complaining about that. And I was like, okay, a urinary tract infection. So I said, okay, and so you're calling me because, oh, well, we got a CAT scan, and she's got like a stone in the right kidney and hydronephrosis. So hydronephrosis, I think we've talked about it on the show before, is when the kidney is blocked and urine is backed up into the kidney and it's all ballooned out with urine. We call it hydronephrosis water on the kidney, even though it's really urine. So I pull up the CAT scan from my office because I'm talking to my office and I look at this scan. I can see on the scan, the big flank, it abscess, this, this pus in the flank. And I'm looking at this kidney and it does not look like hydronephrosis to me. It looks like pus in the kidney. In the kidney. In the kidney. And I realize it's connecting to this skin abscess and that this stone in the kidney is all infected. It's an infected stone. And it's looking a lot like a condition that is sort of, it's very, very rare. It's a very rare condition that, that, that only like really good radiologists can call it what it is. Most of them won't even recognize it. And it's known, we only, we typically use initials to describe it. So I actually texted the, the chairman of the radiology department, who's a friend of mine, this, his name is Mark Feller. I go, Mark, I'm telling you, I don't think this is hydronephrosis. I think this is an XGP. 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 You ever heard of that? Isn't that uh, xanthrogranulomatous pyelonephritis? Yes! There you go. Xanthrogranulomatous pyelonephritis. Sure. We studied that. What do you think of that? You didn't know that, GB? Oh, shit! 
Damn, you're on my Trivial Pursuit team. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. How about that, man? The JT that comes was, through. That was unbelievable. I just am surprised that you didn't pull that, JV. <laughs> no, truth, truth be told, <laughs> we're pranking GB over here a little bit. <laughs> he's, he's, he's not buying it. He had this look on his face like, something weird's going on. Something weird's going on. This can't be right. I was wondering, was this a, was this a setup? I, I've been practicing saying xanthrogranulomatous pyelonephritis for the last 24 hours. <laughs> I got pretty good at it, though, didn't I? <laughs> that was perfect, by the oh, way. Thank you. That was perfect. But yes, I so and he wrote the back. Ca he says, the case yes, is real. Me knowing it is, is not. The case is real. <laughs> he wrote back. He texted back. He goes, "It definitely looks like an XGP." So wait, so you sent XGP you sent him the picture? I no, he's the chairman of the radiologist. I just gave, I texted him the name and the medical record oh, number, and he says, "I'm looking See, at it right now." Of electronic medical. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna he's get able to, to pull up the scan where he was. In a different I have a question. Oh. Well, wait, 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 I'm sorry. No, wait. no, no, but, it, but it's specifically related okay. to your diagnosis of the XGP. And Go ahead, say it. These, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I can hardly say uh, two-syllable words, let, let alone that 26-letter whopper. <laughs> um, these rare diseases, th th did something, like, what goes in your head? It, it, it's like... Because you, you like study stuff in medical school. Or well, you have to understand it. though, because it, because it's the kind of thing that has a certain aura around it. This particular one, where it's like, you you put it this way, that same UCLA guy that I was talking about before, who's become a little bit of my like protege. I don't know about that, but I mean, he's very he's excellent. He's a great surgeon. He did a fellowship in oncology, so he's really good with cancer stuff. And he's been it's we've we've, we've you know, it's been a mutually beneficial relationship, um, and he's, it's been great to be able to kind of reach out to him and say, listen, can you help me with this? Because this is, is a really tough case. Is it mutually beneficial because it's like free help? Yeah. To some, well, no, I think I mean, doctors I, that, all want to advise we all help, yeah. No, we all help each other. That's not Consult. true. In fact, I actually also reached out to another colleague of mine to talk to him about this case who's not who doesn't work at this hospital. But I just said, what do you think? I'm thinking about taking her to the operating room tomorrow. Do you, do you think that's a good idea? And all this stuff. But so, but, but when I read, reached out to this other guy, he's like, oh man, XGPs. I mean, we, we, whenever we got those at the county, it was just, we, we tried to put those off as long as we could. Like people know about XGPs. They come in very infrequently and they come in probably more commonly, unfortunately, at a lower socioeconomic region hospital, like a county hospital. You might see like two or three a year. Whereas in our hospital, which is not as low or socioeconomic, it has to do with like people tend to be, in this case, it wasn't the case though. This lady was a very, it was really bizarre because she was not a lower socioeconomic person and she- But wait, what are you associating with that? Is it because of a diet? Or? I think it's associated with poor healthcare, poor um, people who are more like, you know, diabetics, obese, oh. poor healthcare, um, chronic urinary infections that they're going untreated. I was going to say they're not getting treatment. They're not getting yeah. treatment. They're not getting health care. Okay. So that's more common for an XG. And, and you're going to uh, see this patient this week? Tomorrow. So I saw her last night. She looked oh. fantastic. And I said to her, the only way you're going to get rid of this is by removing that kidney. The kidney is basically gone. It's just a big ball of pus now. And it's a very difficult operation because it, all the tissues are inflamed. It, they tend to fall apart, with, so you, it's hard to put stitches in things because the stitches tear out and it bleeds, and it's a complicated operation. I said, you know, I think the sooner we do this, the better, and maybe we should just try to do this over the weekend. And then, Would you even try to save it if it's possible? No, you can't save this kidney. You can't. It's, it's gone. So there's no, like, 50% XGP. It's, but it you're just, saying it crosses a line and it's over. It's over. But you're saying she should do the surgery, but, like, I mean... Shouldn't, isn't it a must or? It's a must. Yeah, so she's got, how much time should should it be? Um, I mean, you're saying like she should I mean, this has probably been going on. She started having these symptoms like a month ago. So this has been going on for a month. So I mean, she so should it's not do an this emergency. Next, right, but, but it should be in the But it should be week. done soon. I was willing to try to do it this weekend um, for a variety of reasons because it's not the kind of operation you want to do it like, you know, 
oh, I'll do it after work on Tuesday. Right. You know, it's seven at night. No, you want to do this during the day when all the other surgeons are around. So like, let's say you have and a, you're fresh. let's say you have a vascular emergency. It's yeah. bleeding like crazy. You can call in a vascular surgeon. Let's say it's, it's caused a bowel yeah. issue and you've opened up the bowel and the bowel's got to be repaired. You can call the general surgeon. You want to have all your people around. Um, so I thought, oh, the weekend's good because nothing's scheduled. And so I got her on the schedule for today at noon, then realized as I was putting everything together that she's on blood thinners. Yeah. And that takes about three days to get out of her system. Yeah, so she's got to stop the blood, got to stop the blood thinners. All right. Wow, great show, guys. Yeah. yeah. Well, lots to talk about. Interesting stuff. I look forward to the, to the update. Right on. All right, GB, thanks for inviting us over again. Appreciate that. Anytime. You like the patio, I'm glad. Yes. JT, I'm still gonna ask you to remember what XGP is. No, I might not. I might not have it yeah, next time. You guys time. actually got me. <laughs> actually, next time I want you to, I want to hear the derivation, the, <laughs> the entomology of xanthogranulomatous pyelonephritis. I, I didn't know it had to do with the uh, renal stones, so I went that far. I do want to point out that when you mentioned the the, uh, the pus coming out of that. Flank. Sore. Yeah. On the flank, I said, oh, it's kidney. You did. Yeah, I did. You there did. He was all over it. All right, guys. Well, have a safe and healthy week, and we'll, uh, we'll do this again. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Two Men and a Doc is hosted by Dr. Michael Hyman, GB, and Jay Tannenbaum. Produced by Jay Tannenbaum. The views and opinions expressed here by Dr. Hyman are based on his medical training and experience, but if you or someone you know are experiencing any medical issues, you should, of course, consult your own physician. We welcome your questions about men's health or anything you've heard on this podcast, so write to us at mail at twomenandadoc.com. That's M-A-I-L at twomenandadoc.com. If you live in the Los Angeles area and want to see Dr. Hyman, you can find his contact info at drhymanla.com. That's D-R-H-Y-M-A-N-L-A.com. And these links are also in the show notes. That's it for this week. See you next time on Two Men and a Doc.